From tellmeyourdreams.com, this is Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between finding work that pays the bills and making our work meaningful. The show lives where our personal and professional lives collide, giving all of us the chance to rethink how we live and labor in a work from everywhere economy. When everything is urgent, how exactly do you prioritize one thing is more important than another? When Charles Hummel wrote the book, The Tyranny of the Urgent, back in the 90s, there was no way he had any idea what we would be navigating just a few decades later. The complexity of our hyper-connected and politicized economy makes it feel like it's everyone's job to put out fires. And as a result, we never get a chance to get to the important stuff. This ability to gain perspective isn't magic, it's a skill and it's highly learnable. And the more complicated our world is, the more valuable that skill becomes. So how do you gain that skill? And when it feels like your company is running you, especially as a leader, how exactly do you take the reins back? Well, my guest today is Chris Ronzio. He's the CEO of Trainual, and he gets exactly where you're coming from. Better, he also has a proven plan and a process to help you interrupt that tyranny for good. Chris Ronzio, welcome to Converge. Thank you, Dane. Good to be here. We have been around the conversation of living in a a confused world, a complex world, where people are having to navigate, if they work for a company or they're working for themselves, this kind of layered life where they have to consider not just working from home, but working from home while other people are working from home. And maybe kids are home for the summer, depending on where they are in the world. And in the middle of all that, you not only can relate to that on your own, and I'd like to hear about that in just a second, but I'd also like to hear why it is that you built this thing called Trainual. And I have a hunch it has something to do with what I'm describing, but it almost feels like you built what you built precisely for the moment we're in. (laughs) But, (laughs) But you built it way before anybody knew we needed it. But talk a little bit about your story, how you got here, and why you built Trainual. Yeah, thank you. So, man, that's a loaded question, but I guess the the meat of it comes down to I've always had this belief that you should build your business around your life instead of building your life around your business. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs when they get started, they have a temptation to say yes to everything and to do everything for everyone because you're trying to see what sticks and you're trying to make those first couple dollars or hire those first couple people. And at the beginning, you kind of need to say yes to everything, but then you kind of push your life to the back burner. And if you let that continue without being really disciplined and focused about making an intentional change, then you can end up with a business that just runs you to the ground because you're working nonstop. You're always plugged in and there's just really no way to disconnect. So my story personally started with a video production company that I had founded in high school. And it was simple at first. It was just high school talent shows and sports games. But then I went to college and started hiring people from my dorm and finding contractors on Craigslist. And and I set up an office in in Boston where I grew up. And then we set up an office on the West Coast. And before long, we had hundreds of camera operators. And it had just become this, this massive logistical kind of thing. And so my, my wife was actually instrumental in, in me developing this 
philosophy. We had this pivotal moment when I still lived in Boston and it was after college. She was my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, look, I'm moving across the country. You can either come or you cannot come. <laughs> and she's huh. like, I'm going somewhere that's warm. I love you and everything, but like, I need to do this. And so I had this moment where I had to make a choice. Was I going to continue just grinding it out and going to the office day to day? Or could I actually detach and treat the business like a business that I owned instead of one that I worked at. And so for me, it was sort of a forcing function, but that was really foundational to the rest of my life. And that's kind of the, what planted the seed for what would become Trainual. And, and for folks at home who don't know, explain what Trainual is. What does this solve for business owners? Sure. So in short, Trainual is like the playbook for your business. So as you're growing a company, you would think, you know, I don't have instructions for this. I don't have uh, a written operations manual or these kind of corporate things. Well, that's what Trainual is. It's just, it's accessible, easy for anyone to do. And I, the way I explain it is in your business, as you're learning to do things consistently, the step between you doing it yourself and you successfully delegating it to someone else to grow the business is being able to document it, write it down, provide those instructions. And so Trainual is a place where you write everything down, your standard operating procedures, the, the book about your business, and then you break things into roles, you train your new people as they come on, you keep your best practices, um, and it's all in one simple searchable system. Mm, that's great. And that's that story of you realizing that you needed to go pro and you needed a tool to help do that, to create your own playbook. And then in the process, you created a mechanism by which other companies could do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I skipped a few steps. I mean, in between selling my company and consulting for hundreds of others, it was just this thing that kept popping up that people want a way to be able to live their life. You know, I would interview entrepreneurs and some of them just wanted to work fewer hours. You know, they were working 60, 80 hours a week and they really wanted to be able to take a vacation once in a while or take their mornings off or bring their kids to school. And then other entrepreneurs had aspirations of having 50 locations and thousands of employees and really Either of those paths just requires you to have systems that are consistent so that it's not just what's up in your brain. It's not what's in your head that makes the business successful, that the business actually operates based on some rules that you've put in place. In our business at Tell Me Your Dreams, we spend a lot of energy in our coaching clients who have complaints about their lives. They'll say things like, um, gosh, everything's broken. Things aren't working. And our feedback to them is usually some version of, well, what if it wasn't broken? Actually, in fact, what if the system you've built is working so perfectly that it's giving you exactly what it was designed to give you and you just don't <laughs> like what it's giving you? And if that were the case, would you be open to the possibility of switching up your system? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I wonder in, in the case of what you're describing, when people go through the process of really revealing, illuminating, codifying, identifying everything that they do in a, in a kind of written down format, does it reveal things like that? Like systems that if this is your current reality system, does it also give you a path to see how you could improve your systems? And so it's not just documentation, but it's also giving your, your own feedback loop on how you can get better. Oh yeah, of course. There's, there's a total discovery element to it. I love how you framed it. You know, I, I used to tell people they were their worst boss because when you don't have a boss to tell you what to do, you just end up working all the time. And when you don't like your reality, you're working too much or your job's too hard. It's like, well, you, you created this, you know, <laughs> go, go back to the drawing board. 
I think you say it nicer than I did, but, but yeah, as you're going through that process of saying, okay, I want to give this to someone else. So let me, let me step back from the day to day and just write it out. How do I do this thing? You will realize the gaps and you'll, you, as you try to communicate it to someone else, they'll point out the gaps. So it, there, it, it is this iterative process where you try to write things down, you try to communicate it. And then as other people do it, it fills in the gaps and it becomes better. It's a great learning process. Mm. So I'm guessing, so if I'm a, if I'm a CEO of a company and I'm listening to this podcast, I'm thinking about, wow, what train you'll work for me. What, what would be some of the tradition you've heard it all, right? So what are the traditional yeah. in, internal objections that people come up against when they think about this? I have a couple in my mind, but I'm curious, what have you heard along the way? Yeah. The biggest ones are just, I don't know how to do this. I don't have the time to do this. This isn't the most urgent thing right now. And I totally understand all of those because I was in the same place. You know, I ran my business for 13 years before I sold it and I worked with hundreds of other entrepreneurs and you know, I can't convince you to do this. You really have to be in a place where you are so burnt out doing what you do that you need help. You want to bring in other people and start to divide and conquer and start to have concise, consistent roles and responsibilities. And so if you're in that place, then you know that emails and Word docs and Dropbox folders can be a disaster when you're just trying to write all this out. And so what we provide with Trainual is just a more prescriptive framework. You know, we've got templates. We've got onboarding and orientation for when you're hiring people. We've got uh, frameworks for processes that, you know, might exist in your business based on your industry. So it starts to become something you can fill out and feel good that you're making progress. And then when you hire people or when you've got people coming up with their own best practices, there's one place to direct them to. So I would say it's, it's a solution for companies that are getting to that maturity point where they want to not be the one that knows everything. You know, you want to put the tribal knowledge somewhere. So that kind of approach is, it sounds very strategic to me. So it's not just like a chore that I have to go do. Like I, what's coming to mind quite a bit is this, um, the old Michael Gerber e-myth revisited that feels like every, <laughs> yeah. every, every entrepreneur has to read at some point in their career. But the idea of, you know, working on your business, not for your business. And, and that's some of what I'm hearing you describe is when someone's finally realizing, wow, I, I started this business that I could grant freedom from, but now it feels like the slave master to me. And you're going, I, I actually want to work on it, that this is a, a mission critical functional aspect of what it means to work on your business. It actually puts it to life in a sense. But I, the reason I'm asking that is I could see why some owners might go, yeah, yeah, that's nice and true, but you don't understand the fires I have to deal with every day. You don't. And so for that person, especially if you, if you like them, if you're having coffee with them, and they're telling you this, walk us through how you would talk that person off the ledge <laughs> and to realize <laughs> that this is a strategic initiative that actually would give them the freedom they're craving. Yeah, there's a catch 22. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up Michael and the E-Myth and he's a good friend. I was on the phone with him on Monday for two hours and we, we talk through this, this all the time. I would say the only thing I disagree with him on is, you know, he says you got to work on the business, not in the business. But I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that just want to work in the business. They're very satisfied being a creator, being a solopreneur. And if that's the case, I'm not going to convince you otherwise, you know, but the people that pick up that book, that read the book, that sign up for Trainual, they're already past the breaking point where they know they need this. And so now it's just a matter of 
carving out the time to make some progress on it. And so it is a catch 22 because any time you put into defining your system and dictating to other people is time that in the short term takes up time on your plate. You know, it's, it puts more on your back. But in the long term, if you focus on that, it's going to pay off and have dividends that are exponential. Because if you have to do something once yourself every time, it might take you, you know, double the effort to spend time writing it down, showing someone else, coaching them through it the first few times. But then a, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, you're not doing that thing anymore. And you can focus on on other things. So as you go through a business, you know, you, you always have varying roles and responsibilities. And I, you know, we have 42 employees right now. And I, again, earlier this week, sat down with our chief of staff and I wrote down every single thing that I do in the business. It took about 20 minutes. I have a way to brainstorm this if you want to dig into it. But I saw every single thing on my list. And then she went through and started highlighting things that she could take off my plate or our director of finance could take off my plate. And you do that at every single stage in a business. Every time you're hiring someone, every time you're having reviews with people that work for you, it's all about what's the best use of your time. How, how can you bring the most value to the company? How can I bring the most value to the company? And so for someone that's constantly firefighting and in this reactive mode, I would just challenge them to write down all the things that they're working on. You know, like what is causing the fires? What problems in the business do we need to solve? And is it up to you to solve those? Is it someone on your existing team that should be solving those? Is it someone on the new, that the your next team that you got to go find? And, and it just, you got to know where you're starting from in order to make progress on this, but it is proactive work. It's something that you have to be diligent about putting time into. Well, and along those lines, I'm also guessing that some folks will hear this and they, they kind of make up in their mind like, oh, this is a one and done chore. Like I'm just building an asset yeah. and it's going to exist and live. And that's great. As opposed to this is a, a living, breathing document that is going to never stop being built. Is that accurate? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, think of it like a family tree, right? Like the grandparents have kids and they take care of their kids and then their kids have kids and you don't necessarily take care of your grandkids all the time. It's up to their parents to do that. And the same is true with responsibilities in a business. Like you start off at the top of the organization doing what you do and creating the things you create and and mentoring the people that report to you. But then they start to develop their own best practices. And if at some point they just stop taking care of their kids, you know, you've got to either step in or coach them to be better parents of their responsibilities in the business. But in a, in a healthy family, in a functioning organization, you would have each of those different lineages taking care of what is their responsibility in the business so that you're more worried about what you do today and just overseeing your direct reports. Mm. All right. So I know there's folks at home who are thinking about they're actually kind of mad at you. They've cussed at you a couple of times on this deal. <laughs> uh, they're like, okay, so you're meeting with your chief of staff and you can explain everything you do in 20 minutes. Like what a jerk. Like you can do really like, that's ridiculous. But, but you mentioned that you have this kind of Kung Fu magic kind of how you can actually brainstorm and get it down quickly. Um, yeah. Could you share a little bit about that? 
Yeah, of course. So it's actually pretty simple. And I promise everyone can do this in 20, 30 minutes. And you can have everyone on your team do this as well. So no matter how big your team is, send out an email, post it in Slack, whatever systems you use, and just take them through this exercise. So what I do is I go back through my sent email because your email can be cluttered, but your sent email is actually a good representation of what you engage with on a day-to-day basis. And so I go back through my last two or three or four weeks of sent email. I scan the list. I look at the subjects and it triggers my mind to remember who I was interacting with and why. And I start to make a list off to the side, either on paper or in a spreadsheet of all of those different things, whether it was, you know, a bill that needed to be paid or someone that I I was setting up a meeting with and some, you know, it just, it it tells you your responsibilities in the business. So I've found email to be the, the, the concentration of most of my activity for you. It might be somewhere else, but wherever that is, look through it. The next thing I do is I look at my calendar. So same thing, go back the last month, the last couple of weeks, and just look at all the meetings you had, internal meetings with team, meetings that you facilitate, that you lead, sales meetings with customers, appointments with, with clients, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, note those responsibilities. Next, look at your direct messages. So this could be in a chat app. Uh, like we use Slack. It could be instant messages on social media platforms. It could be texts if you let your employees or your, your clients text you. But just scan through, again, the top conversations. Write down what they're asking you for and what you do. And then the last piece here is to brainstorm by time period. So just thinking through if someone were to take over your job, your entire job, what do they have to do every single day? You know, this could be things like, opening the office or checking your email or going to the mailbox or having a call that you have every day with someone. What do you do every week? This could be filing some report. This could be payroll. This could be you know, any anything else you're doing on a weekly basis. What do you do every month? Maybe there's some, some financial statements. Maybe there's some updates you're sending out. What do you do every quarter? What do you do every year? So you, you're basically just jogging your memory based on the systems that you use and the time periods in which you operate. And by the end of that 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you'll have a list of dozens or hundreds of responsibilities in the business. And it's a really great way to just zoom out and look at the macro and say, wow, these are all the things I do. What of these things should I be doing? What of these things are representative of my salary? What of these things could I delegate to someone that exists today, to a virtual assistant, to someone I plan to hire in three months? It's an amazing exercise. So I do this and my team does this like quarterly or twice a year. I love that. Well, even like you've already given people that this is a task they could put in their quarterly timeframe. So really helpful and brilliant, actually brilliant in the sense that you're really assessing reality. Cause I have a, I, I I'm guessing that people who do this consistently, especially at the beginning, I guess would maybe be surprised at how they're actually spending their time. Like how much, how, how much is the Delta between uh, what you thought you spent your time on uh, versus what you actually spent your time on? Yeah. And if you're a, a geek like me, I mean, put it all on a spreadsheet. You can categorize these things by like functions in the business or by the value that the dollar value of that. You know, if you were to hire someone hourly to do that, what do you think it's worth? You can also if if you do this with a bunch of your teammates or if it's a small company and you have everyone do it, 
you can actually see of, of the number of responsibilities in this company, what percentage do I have? And that might not say you're working 100 hours and everyone else is working 10 hours, but it shows you that there's this variety of tasks and task switching that is a stress. You know, if you only do four things in the business, you're, you're probably a lot more focused than someone that's jumping between 80 different responsibilities in the business. And so when I used to work with consulting clients, that was always something we did. We laid this out and we categorized it however we could just so that we could make some quantitative progress as we looked at it month after month or quarter after quarter and say, okay, well, what by the end of this year, what do you want to take off your plate? Because then it's just a project. How are we going to do this? Who's going to take this on? How are we going to create the training, the documentation for these things? And that's how you make progress is you have to inspect what you expect. That's what one of my mentors says. Well, again, tell me more. Is there anything, what other magic tricks are in there? Is there anything, cause I, cause what I'm hearing you say is again, you're assessing all of your Inbox is an actual activity of what happened, not what you're anticipating to do. And then based on that, you're tagging what are these function towards, what's that worth to you and your company, even drilling down and trying to understand how much time it takes for each one and what percentage of overall activity is being done by any individual. Are people surprised when they go through this exercise or do they find themselves going, yep, that's that's pretty much what I I thought I did? (laughs) I think uh, founders, entrepreneurs are surprised by how much they do and how long the list is. Mm. And I think that other leaders, managers, employees are surprised at the variance between this mm. list and the job description when they were hired. <laughs> because it's it's like, you know, if you've ever been to the beach and put your towel down somewhere and then ended up like a half a mile away from your towel and you're like, how did this happen? <laughs> you know, it's the, there's just the current sort of pushes you the same same thing happens in in a job. You get hired for one set of responsibilities. Six months, 12 months later, you're doing something totally different. And there's not a good reconciliation between the two. So that's I found this so helpful to do at every level in the business because it sets clear expectations for here's what I'm doing today. Is this what's still expected of me? Is this a good use of my time for the company? And it can be enlightening to leaders in the company when their direct reports show this to them and say, wow, no, like we should hire someone to do all that stuff because I need you to focus on this. Mm. Do you recommend that people potentially rewrite their job descriptions or you're saying that, no, no, get back to the job description at hand. Like there's probably reasons why people are drifting and they're not always bad. Like maybe they're, maybe they're discovering newer things. Yeah. I don't think you have to rewrite your job description in the same detail as, you know, what you posted on the the HR site, unless you're hiring for the same position and the reality of the role has changed, then yes, you should rewrite it. But if it's that your actual job in the company has changed, that's okay. You know, we, we use scorecards at Trainual internally where it's kind of a loose job description, but it, it shows the purpose of the role, the North star metric that you're going to be measured on a couple other supporting metrics, and then just the types of responsibilities that you're doing day in and day out. And so I think a more informal outline like that is really helpful as a manager. So who should take ownership of, of a trainual? Is it the traditional HR role or is it the owner? Because it seems like the folks, in my experience, when leaders own things like this disproportionately on the front end of a project, especially, it gets done differently than if it's kind of a handed down task. Who if you could wave a magic wand for most companies, who would who would be the initial owner of this project? 
whoever's most passionate about it getting done and whoever has the most discipline to stay on top of it getting done. You know, like we see, we see owners do it and CEOs, we see uh, directors of operations, we see office admins, administrative assistants, the first people operations person or HR person or head of people. Um, so it really varies. It depends on why they come into the business. You know, we, we see people start to build out one department at a time. Like maybe they have a sales team that's expanding really quickly and it's the sales manager that is owning this because that's the thing that they need to document and train the fastest. Or maybe they're opening a new location and it's like a business area development type person for a franchise or a licensed company because they're really trying to write down, here's how we operate for location number two to copy location number one. Um, so it, it, it varies quite a bit industry to industry, but it's, it's whoever's gonna not forget that this is important mm -hmm. because it does take uh, leadership to get this done. And it, it takes enrolling everyone because it's not something one person does. It's mm -hmm. something that one person champions or a couple people champion, but really the work is done by everyone because everyone in the business has some piece of the puzzle. They've got some part of the role. You don't know what every single person's doing. So it's up to them to document it. That's so helpful. So I'm picturing people are listening. They're like, yeah, this is compelling to me. I'm interested. I'm going to champion it or I'm going to take on. The, I love that you mentioned enrollment because it's such that's everywhere. Like we're always enrolling all the time, whether it's a customer, an employee. I want somebody to read a book I just read, whatever it is. I feel like I'm in that mode and, and to own it, it that is a part of the responsibility here. But it, when you could, if you map out kind of a company that is first hearing about this through to a sense of really thriving because they're using this tool, talk about that that life cycle. Like, what are the stages they go through traditionally? Uh, and maybe there isn't a tradition, but if there are some patterns there, what have you seen be a good series of steps, and how long should that take? Yeah, if I could outline it perfectly, there would be a leader in the business that has a reason to get this done and everyone is bought into that reason. We're going to grow by X percent. We're going to add this in revenue or we're going to hire this many people or we're going to increase productivity or efficiency by this. You know, there's some reason everyone's bought in and the owner signs up. Then next step would be create that table of contents. So you know, it, it, I'm actually writing a book right now. And in the same way that I attack the book, which is what are the chapters? What are, what are all the things that we want to say? What's the message that we're trying to get across? You need to do that for your playbook too. It's like, what are all of our departments? What are all of our roles in the company? And what's the outline of the big things that everyone does? And so that's where you can use that exercise I mentioned to really populate your outline. And then you're going to think about what are the things that we need to document first in the business. And what that is for you could vary. But what I usually recommend is it's the stuff that you're going to get the biggest ROI on. And that if you're hiring is going to be an orientation or handbook or like the rules of the business, because that's something everyone needs to go through. If you are expanding a department, it might be just one particular role that you focus on writing everything down. If there is somebody that is leaving on a maternity leave or putting in their notice, that might be the most urgent role that you start with for implementation. So it's kind of just, you know, you, you get everyone bought in, you figure out the outline, you then focus on where you're going to get the quickest ROI 
And then you demonstrate the ROI to the company and say, look what we did in this narrow part of the business and how effective it's been. And then you start to trickle out and set goals for we want this department or this role documented by this date. And here's the person that's going to own that. And then it just becomes something that, you know, you get far enough along that it builds itself into your culture. It's, it's like we've got most of our playbook up to date for all the things that we do most regularly. And we're going to revisit it every quarter. And each person that owns each department is going to make sure everything's up to speed. And then it just kind of keeps getting better because beyond just going through the first training in, in the system, anytime you update a, a best practice, a process, a policy, you have the choice to say, I want everyone to go through this again, or this is just a small update don't bother them. Or here's a little note I want to send out by email. So they're aware of the change, but they don't need to go back through it. And that level of, you know, accountability really helps when you're trying to keep everyone up to speed and, and operating at the highest level. I'm guessing when this is all done, and when I say done, I, I'm, I'm contradicting myself. When, it, when you have a critical mass and it's, it's there, it's an asset to the organization. And let's say somebody wants to sell their company. This IP is going to prove pretty valuable. Totally. Yeah. We've had business brokers or people that sold their businesses right in and say that it, it got them another, another turn or another tick on their valuation just because it was something tangible that you could show the buyer and say, look, here are the instructions. This is how the business runs. Everybody's gone through this. You know, that that's the, the physical manifestation that every entrepreneur dreams of is being able to just hand the keys to someone. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you put in this work and you've got this tangible thing, imagine how valuable that is to show the person that's going to take over um, that, you know, we've we have a system and it's not just in everyone's brains. And if there's any turnover, it's not going to tank the business because we can get other people running pretty quickly. Mm. Okay, last question as we head towards home. Um, we are in a complex moment, right? The world feels like every every news cycle. It's well, we've been in one news cycle. It feels like for the year. <laughs> uh, I guess yeah. three three major ones if you count Kobe. And I I feel like between COVID and Black Lives Matter and all the things that we're navigating, this kind of work it'd be tempting, I think, to put this important work off because it doesn't feel urgent. But if, if you could reframe that for people around urgency, would you do that? Because I, I, my own sense is that it's, this is a, the stakes are much higher than people realize. Yeah. Well, the thing about investing in the systems of your business is that you don't start to get the return until you invest. And we've had a fluctuating market, stock market also recently. And so every few days you see some spike and it's like, oh, I should have bought you know, I saw like Hertz stock or something. They went, they announced a bankruptcy. It went down to like nothing. And then if you bought that, you could, you could have made 10 X on your money within mm. a week. Mm. And, you know, we see those stories all the time and say, oh, if I had only done that sooner. And it's the same with the systems in your business. If, if you take this time and this kind of pause in real life to actually build some structure around your foundation, then just think of the returns over the next few years in your business and how much stronger it could be. And so we've got people tweeting and writing in saying, yeah, I finally doubled down. And like, this was one of my back burner things that I've finally had time to work on. And oh my gosh, like this is going to make it so much easier. So that's what I would say is like, you know, if you tell yourself the story that there's a burning fire, then you're going to be firefighting forever. So as a, a business owner, a leader, until you can put down the hose or trust your other people with the hose, 
then you can't start chipping away at this sort of stuff that makes a bigger impact in the business. This was episode 11, season five of the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge is made possible thanks to the Habit Course from tellmeyourdreams.com. TMYD provides world-class coaching designed specifically for remote teams. Find out why Forbes magazine called TMYD's Habit Course the online course to master working from home. Sign up today at tellmeyourdreams.com. Thank you.